0: one maybe yes sir from their little studio in south africa it's time for the long and short of it with simon hill phillen rogers and dale hayes
1: yeah that it is another episode of the long and the short of it Mm -hmm. and a very special episode at that but we like to think they're all special but today we pay homage to the voice of south african golf isn't that right dale
0: Absolutely. Dennis Hutchinson, known as the voice of South African golf, but he's a lot more than that. In the 50s, he was the best amateur golfer in South Africa. In the 60s, he was, along with Gary Player and Harold Henning, they were the best professionals in South Africa. And then he became a sought after teacher uh, for both club golfers and for professionals, got involved in administration for a while, and then became the voice of golf. Whilst Gary Player, without question, is South Africa's greatest ever golfer. Dennis Hutchinson is the most loved.
1: And the last amateur to win the South African Open.
2: Back in 1959.
0: Yep, 1959, it was a great year for Hutchie because South Africa and the South African Springbok team won the Commonwealth trophy as well. Both of them happened at Royal Johannesburg. In the South African Open, he beat Gary Player by one shot. So obviously that was massive, you know, for Hutchie. Mm. And that's when he decided that, you know, he should turn pro and, and, and try and play this game for a living. He was a late starter. He was 27 years old when that happened. He ended up winning 25 professional golf tournaments, becoming one of the best players, played in the World Cup with Gary Player. He's played with all the great players. In fact, he's one of the only people that ever played with the big three of golf in a tournament round. He was drawn with Gary and as his partner in the World Cup, and they played with Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer. That is a That's a pretty cool thing to know.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But more than all of this, he's been a great friend to you and the Hayes family, hasn't he? Well, you know, he tells
0: a story that uh, he first came. He first came and met me when I was six months old. So that means that I've known him for sixty-nine years. Yeah, but you're, you not, know, tell, you're not telling the full years.
1: story because he said if he knew what, the grief you were going to give him, <laughs> he would have strangled you right then and there in the cot. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I thought i would leave that for i thought i'd leave that for the for the podcast <laughs> you know it's a lovely story and he tells it beautifully
1: well before we get into the chat with hutch we're very happy once again to have blair athel golf and equestrian estate yep. on board for this podcast yeah uh, side uh, the ultimate and secure luxury estate living blair athel
2: golf and equestrian estate where lifestyle is a priority located just three kilometers from lanseria airport in johannesburg blair athel does have it all a world-class championship golf course outstanding equestrian facilities, mountain bike and running trails, diverse wildlife, helipads, tennis and squash courts, a high-tech fitness center, spa and restaurant facilities. On top of that, it's the perfect environment in which to raise a family with easy access to nearby schools and close proximity to the planned Lanceria smart city. So why not visit blairathel.coza and take the first steps in creating your dream home. Come home to Blair Athel, an unparalleled living experience.
1: Well, with Dale's lunch bill now taken care of, let's get into the chat with the great Dennis Hutchinson. Well, Hutch, welcome to the long and the short of it. It's the first time that Dale, myself, and Dylan... Have been together to do a podcast, and we're here at your home club, Royal Johannesburg in Kensington. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you very much
3: for well, asking me, Simon. It's nice to be with uh, Dale. I was here. I don't lies. lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah,
2: I've known him since
3: he was a baby in a carry cot, It was a very big carry cot of course, but <laughs> it's really nice to be here. He's been a great pal, and, and to meet Dylan tonight, it's been very, very nice. And nice of you to ask me. I
2: yeah. Mean, I mean, how many years? Let's let's. I mean, how, how many years do you go back, Dale? And,
0: in well, the Hachi, Hachi. The, first, the first time, and I mean, he'll remember, it. his memory is unbelievable, but I think it was January 1953. It was February. 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 So I was, I was <laughs> seven months old. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was seven months old when he first came to visit my parents. Okay, lying and, and, in
3: the, and, and, and lying in the carry cot there outside his dad's shop, who had the shop there, where you now go into... The locker rooms. It used to be the shop there in the old days, and his mom was sitting there and she had a vodka and tonic, and I knew it should have been a double-looking. <laughs> in that guy, you could just know he was going to be naughty,
1: and he didn't let me down. And you say, if you knew what you know now, back then, what uh, would you have done? I would have throttled him right on the spot,
3: <laughs> in front of his mother,
1: and bought her another double. <laughs> but Hutch, you, you're 89 now, you're looking... Bloody good. Thank you. 89 years old. You turn 90 next year. And I can remember coming to interview you for your 80th birthday for Complete Golfer magazine. And I cannot believe that is 10 years ago. I know.
3: Well, I, well, I just said, you know, seeing you, I mean, I, I realized suddenly it was ages, you know, often
0: of here, here and that sort of thing. So How do I look? you look pretty damn
3: good too, I think. Thanks, Hutch. <laughs> I, I, but I, Archie, I Archie, you are very
0: fit. Archie, maybe you don't remember this, but I remember on your 80th, they said to you, that they'd like to come and interview you on your ninetieth, and you said no, and they yeah. said, "Well, why not?" You said, "Because I don't know whether you guys will still be around."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll definitely be around. It's very, very nice. Yeah, I mean,
0: nice. Anyway,
2: Hatch, um, sitting here at Royal Johannesburg in Kensington, it's obviously a, a club that you have a long history with, and I mean, you know, I'd like to, I mean, I'd love to talk 1959 as well. Mm. Um, the last amateur to win the SA Open. What does this club mean to you, and how special is it to be here as we reflect on a a, a full career?
3: Well, look, it's obviously been one of the premier clubs in in South Africa forever, and forever since I first came down and first played here way back. Well, it would have been November 52 that I first played at Royal. I had played earlier, come down with teams from Rhodesia, and played at Harton and Durban Country Club, and uh, down at Humewood. You know, also lovely old courses. I mean, the old Houghton I thought it was a fantastic course, was in my top five. And uh, it really has become very special. And every, you know, then I joined Kensington and then came here after being at ERPM for many, many years, which was also a great club. And also Golf Club. I was a member of those two as an amateur. And uh, it, it's been great, but this club has been very special. And, uh, it's, you know, hosted so many great championships, and so many wonderful players over the years, and they're very, very good to me, I must admit. And uh, it's a very special place, and uh, very nice
0: people. Actually, Dylan mentioned the the win in the South African Open 1959. Uh, uh, no, but uh, that actually isn't the thing that you regard as the best thing that happened in your career. No. It actually wasn't that, <coughs> but it happened right here. It did happen right here. That, of course, was commonwealth matches
3: that we played here in 1959, and one of the reasons maybe... I might have turned professional, earlier people would ask me why not to turn pro, I said no, no I want to play because we played the first inaugural Commonwealth congru- matches at St Andrews in 1954 No yes. oh boy, oh boy, it was nice and cold and we didn't do very well there and uh, I never get out, I let Stewie Jones off the hook from New Zealand, I had him two down at three to play and lost the bloody match
1: and it still irks you <laughs> i
3: said yeah, I, you know, I can see it <laughs> i said you know i said you know i said go, you're going straight down of course he didn't doubt about it. but anyway so the matches were here in 1959 and having won the open that year i was lucky enough you know, i played one That's how they forget both the singles and the horses with my great partner jimmy boyd who was a great great player jimmy was wonderful and I did get Joe Jones, funny enough, to play. He played number one for New Zealand as well. And so-and-so went out in 31 here at Royal, and I managed to run him down and beat it to 17. But uh, So that I always really enjoyed the bit. Came through that, we won the Commonwealth, and I managed to win every game. I won my, my four singles and the four forces with Jimmy Boyd, which, you know, really Amazing. is what I think what I enjoyed
1: the most, and it was the best thing I ever did. Can we just go back? Can we go back? OK, you were born in 1932. Yes. in what was in what was then rhodesia 1980 yes <laughs> i still remember oh, dale this is one of my favorite stories that you told he said he found an early picture of dennis hutchinson he said it was a cave painting <laughs> but anyway so you were born in what was then rhodesia you come to south africa and you work as a furniture salesman correct tell us how that happened now, what really happened was, you know, I'd, I'd come down to play in the, in the uh,
3: National Open at uh, the Open in 1950, first time, and then 51 again, and uh, 52 was at, at Hewman, and then the talk came of these Commonwealth matches that are going to be played, and, uh, you know, and, uh, officials in Rhodesia, Rhodesia was still part of the South African Golf Union in those days, and the officials, they said, look, if you stay here, they won't pick you, you should get in that team, you've got to move South Africa. And a guy called Roly Stumpy, who knew some people down here, was down on holiday, and he chatted to Yanni bluchter who he knew, who owned the furniture factory. Old well, Yanni, he very kindly offered me a job, and I came down in November 1952. And uh, it all went from there. I'll never forget it. Was, uh, and that was why I came and joined uh, Jermison Golf Club, where Yanni was a member, and then also joined R.P.M. with Jimmy Boyd, my great. And he was a bit of a mentor to me, old Jimmy. He was a fantastic golfer. He won to open an amateur as well. and So you say
0: as well. You didn't win the amateur. Oh, no, I know. Well, damn it. I, I can't <laughs> believe I gave you the chance to get that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's fine, because nor did I. No, no, no. Well, I you know. Well, you weren't as kind as me. I gave the other What <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Did <laughs> you still want to, huh? Huh?
3: Yeah, no, I sell any furniture? Yeah. no, I didn't know too much about it. I, I mean, it What were you nervous. plugging I mean, back then? What was the hot property? It what was, was a casual furniture. You know, that did be made at you know, casual tables and... And eventually developed dining rooms, bedrooms, and that. But uh, no, it was it was good fun. man. I was very nervous starting out. You can imagine. I mean, talking to people in the furniture shop, I sort of look and get their name, and when I got to the desk, I'm from the bloody name. But, but uh, in the end, I, I quite enjoyed it. And uh, Yanni was very good. But he made good furniture. He felt it was furnished with the best furniture, and of course, it was always more expensive than anybody else in the same game. We managed to do all right, and, and he really was like a you know, father to me. You know, even at it. He was a, a grand man.
1: And, and how long did you do that for before you decided, OK, well, listen, I've got to focus solely on golf? No, I, I turned
3: professional after those commonwealths, which was in... Uh, and in you were November. 28 at the time? 28. Well, I, I, I was 27. I turned 28 following year. Yeah, I was, I was, I was 27 when I turned pro
0: December 59. It was a
3: month after the
0: commonwealth. Yeah, OK. But you know, at that time, actually, you... you when you turn professional, I mean, I remember talking to Reg Taylor, another great amateur oh, from yeah. those days. And I said to Reg, you know, did you ever consider turning professional? And he said, well, you know, food and clothes were quite important to me. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't think I'd bother. Yeah. You know, there wasn't the type of money. No, you know, if you were the best amateur golfer in South Africa today, it'd be a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. But in those days, it wasn't just quite the same. Yeah, well, I think it
3: was also because I wanted to keep playing golf at a high standard. You know, sort of I was, obviously, you now I was getting married. I had a child. And, uh, sort of, and, and, and I was taking on so much seriously. Now I was doing the East Round, and West Round, Pretoria, and that. You know, I didn't hardly had time to play any golf. So I, I wanted to keep playing at a high standard. I, you know, I really enjoyed golf. I, sort of, I loved to play. and I don't play so
0: well anymore. But I love the game and, and being involved in the game and the people in the game. But also, when you're comparing yourself to some of the others that were turning pro at the same time, or had turned mm. pro already, you felt you were as good as them, or well, better? Well, I actually
3: felt I was better than someone that turned pro, as you well know. And when Harold and Gary turned pro, I thought they were dilly. Harold was not bad. Gary was all very rough.
1: And what was his handicap when he turned pro? Uh,
3: well, I think Gary would have been four or five. Four or, or five, yeah. Like that was, I never forget, the transfer amateur was Glendower in 1953, the February, and, and that's when Gary and Harold had turned pro. And I, I really, I was quite surprised. But of course, they both went on to do exceptionally well. Well, Gary's okay, done alright. right. <laughs> well, he's done it right. 160-odd <laughs> <on> tournaments, whatever. <laughs> uh, and, and Harold won over 50 tournaments, which people hardly realise. Maybe I, I was basing it hard, I suppose, always an amateur, really. I, it was always fun for me. I, I think I was a bit of a softie.
1: But on turning pro, didn't Reg Taylor give you some advice? He did. Which I you didn't God, listen yeah.
3: to? He said, don't listen to anybody. He so said, just go and play. Yeah. Sadly, and... Uh, you know, I was trying and tried this and changed my grip and messed up my arm and Gary and Harold obviously they were trying to help me but it actually hurt and then the other lesson I ever had was with Henry Cotton who yeah. once taught uh, Ridge Taylor's father, Charlie Taylor, CC, who had his own little way but a good player, three handicap on Charlie and he did a couple of balls for Henry Cotton and Cotton said, no, what handicap do you play? No, he said, I'm off two. He said, you must be an amazing putter. <laughs> <laughs> so I played with Cotton at a tournament in Britain and I had a couple of really good rounds and I think I shot 68, 65 or something. And he said, oh, you must come down to Temple. You've got a chance at a win. had lunch, and Now we were going to hit some balls. He wanted me to hit one-handed. I said, yeah, Cotton, I really think it's a two-handed game. <laughs> no, no, he said, but you've got to. And you know, I was so upset. I you know, I've got to just had a rip with the seven-iron. I pulled all the muscles out in my shoulder, which was, uh, I've never hurt anybody, I said, well, you've you hurt me, but anyway, I had to withdraw, I never get that, uh, i because the lesson, but I went to the French, I had to withdraw, the Dutch had to withdraw, German had to withdraw, at Ramstein, which was, of course, the American air base in Germany, and I said to my wife and the other boy with me, I said, I'm going to have to play with her, I'd just chipping around out of it. The rough there is 100 foot tall at Ramstein. They just took out enough trees to make the golf course. And anyway, I managed to win the tournament. You know, I hadn't played for like a month now since the bloody lesson. And and I've got it to this day. I got a telegram from Mr. Cott saying, I'm glad
0: to see my lesson. Did you (laughs) something (laughs) good? I've got that bloody telegram still at home. But I had to withdraw four weeks in a row. Now, was that the week at Ramstein? When you you shot 62 and Roberta, no, no, that was no, another year you. Know, when I, the following year, when I won the next
3: year, yeah, I, I, I loved the course. You know, I was the, the longest hitter in the world there. I'd go with driver, the other guys hitting five irons off the tee, so I was I was really long around it. And I, I, I'd shot 62, hit under, and over and having breakfast the next morning, and tap of the shoulder, and look up, and there's Roberta de who was a wonderful man, fantastic player, won over 200 gold tournaments. But, you know, one of those really powerful men, you know, he could break you in half if he wanted to. I said, oh, morning, Roberto. He said, tell me, Hachi, which are too old you don't fucking play yesterday? (laughs) 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 It's still the nicest compliment I would ever (laughs) pay.
0: You know, just to intro Roberto, because a lot of South Africans Uh, probably don't remember him that well. But Roberto, as you said, won 250 professional golf tournaments, including the Open Championship. He could have, should have, won the Masters, Masters tournament yeah. where he got a penalty shot on the 17th hole yes. and uh, he was just the nicest man. No, he, didn't he won get on every the try. Yeah, good, the they put The wrong card. was good put the squad But he, he won in every place that he played pretty oh, much. Unbelievable. And he was just he, the most wonderful He a gentleman
3: guy too. He was and strong, he could hit. He was a beautiful player.
2: You, you, you talk about Henry Cotton and the, and the tinkering with the swing. Actually. And that's obviously one of the vagaries of golf, is that it is a game that there are so many different facets to it, whether you, it's mm. your stance, your grip, how far you stand from the ball. It obviously makes it a unique sport, and that there's always something that can be taken. With. Well,
3: Dale, is, is Dale no, well knows. I mean, it's, it's so,
1: so easy to be talked into things, isn't it? It really is. Well, I think when, you, when you're when you struggling or, or desperate, I mean, you will you will take advice. You know, another unique record
0: that you own is the fact that uh, you played in the World Cup a couple of times with Gary Player, mm. but the one time you played, you actually played with the big three of golf, just yeah, tell yeah. us how that all came about. Yeah, well, I, I, sort of, I was sort of really unaware of that, but uh, played the, uh, the
3: final round in, in 1964 in Hawaii on Maui Island, Royal Kannapoli, the golf courses. And, Obviously, it was Gary's partner, and it was Nicholson Palmer playing for America. And only later then, I said, do you realise you might be the only guy that ever played a competitive round of golf for the big three? And, and I'm not sure if anybody else ever did. But you know, I, I mean, what stands days. out for you from well, from that? I just, it was so hot there, I tell you. I can't believe it. was sweaty like Durban, really, in in January, February. The boy was sweaty. he could get through you know, water every every hole. Palmer should have won, and he went punching in the back time, never forget. And Nicholas, we got to the 15th, I think it was the 15th. We'll a forward with water on the right. Palmer got up first, it just went straight right, 150 miles, right in the middle of the lake. Nicholas followed him even deeper. And Gary got up, you won't believe, straight in the lake. So I said, well, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not going <laughs> to the lake. He it, it off the tee, I'll never forget. But And Nicholas eventually won the individual, and Gary and... We finished third, and they won the, won the, won the thing. but it was...
0: Uh, unbelievable, I, I never really thought about it at the time, but
3: uh, it might be true.
0: Hutch, the other thing is that you know, there are probably not that many people that are still playing golf today that have played golf with hickory shaft at clubs, you know, steel shaft, graphite shaft, have seen the changes that you've seen in equipment, I mean where, where, when you started with a hickory driver, the ball might have, a really good drive would have gone how far? Well, it would not have run until time
3: <coughs> No, in the end, well,
0: a good hit with two yards. OK, and today people are hitting double that. Double that, do. Oh, they hit five, you know, yep. seven, I So you, I mean, you've seen unbelievable changes. Yeah.
3: and in the ball too. but I mean, the Hickory, and the Hickory was, had a beautiful feel. I really enjoyed them. I was a 3 handicap before I ever hit a steel shot. When we don't, we don't <laughs> borrow, I borrowed my old man two-iron and four-iron, one afternoon, two, and it was the first par round I've ever had was using those two clubs, playing with a guy called Entwistle, who told me <laughs> I was just practicing because my dad was playing and, you know, I was now getting, I wanted to use the proper clubs and everything. Although I loved the hickory and that. Uh, Budgie Harvey was looking after the golf club. She was a, a Rhodesian ladies' champion. And she said, would I play with this guy, Mr Entwistle? I said, yeah, I'd love to play. Anyway, off we went, I borrowed, she lent me her ladies two iron and four iron. And I made up So off we went. And he said to me on the first green, please don't watch me putty, he said I've got a bit of a problem and he was a nice English boy you know I want he's years what am I going to do and the first one he had a little one like this It took a couple of feet to get in and he just started to lean and eventually fell over anyway it was a wonderful job. the first half first round ever shot was playing with him and every
1: green there he was nearly falling into the hole Oh, it was fun Were your family big golfers? Was your dad a no, big player? No, my dad, no, he wasn't great he, was, he played golf He had a regular
3: Wednesday afternoon game And a Saturday game And uh, no, he, he was 18-80 And
0: that was sort one of the sad things The minute I got into him He wouldn't play with me anymore He said, no, you must play with better players so, But which is quite right Which is a, a good tip for people right. The youngsters especially That are starting out to play Always play with people that are better than better you Better than you, yeah Because that's how you're going to learn Oh, true, that's very true
1: very true. It's just no wonder I don't get that many games. Oh! Oh! Hudge, tell us a little bit about that, that amateur win in, in fifty nine because you beat Gary Player to win it. But was there an inkling at that time that Gary was going to go on and, and, and do something special that, that he had Already, he
3: won he won the Open. That he won
1: he won it in fifty nine. Oh, his first uh, major. That's right. He won in nineteen
3: fifty nine, and uh, you know, uh, could Gary. Uh, no, no, I was there when he won his first tournament, the East Rand Open, at, uh, at now they call it what they used to be, uh, Royal, Oak. Royal Oak. Yeah, that's what they call it, yeah. Bernoulli now. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to think what it used to be called. Anyway, and I'll never forget to take a picture. I'll go, took a swing on the practice swing, the pressed while we walked down the hole. And he had this big bow back at the end, he'd got stuck. And I remember putting my hand underneath his head and pulling him upright. <laughs> I said, You'll be okay. And that was the first tournament he won. I'll in 1954. No, that was 56, would have been.
2: Your recollection, such of 59? Of 50. I was
3: five shots behind going into the line. There's still 36 holes the last day. Yeah. And uh, I, I had a very nice run on the, in the afternoon. I birdied, uh, I think I started birding at uh, four, five, six, and seven to sort of run and get into it. And then we were very tight all the way in the back line. And all, old Jimmy Boyd came out to watch in the back. There were a lot of people actually, uh, my old buddy, and, uh, and eventually I. I made a great ship and a at the old foot hit, which used to be a, a par three, which is no longer there, the whole sadly, and made a great up and down at 16, and then Gary took three to get in, and it went through the green, and then 18, he knocked it right at the back of the green, and I sort of putted, we were both on, on the edge, and I putted up to about five foot, and he putted about three foot five, and I managed to get one, and we were level at the time, and he missed the little one, and uh, I won by a jump, and it
0: was, it was very exciting. That obviously convinced you then to turn professional.
3: Well, that was, uh, I must say, you only looked at my boss, you should turn pro, you know, you're better, better than these guys. But The other thing I remember that day, and my sister, it was my birthday, you wouldn't believe, 14th of March, 1959. My sister gave me two, I'm 65, as is the birthday present. Anyway, I'd used them, and I used them all day, and my caddy kept saying, you must take, you must take. I said, no, these are fine, they'll do because Gary was peeling off all, I think he peeled off 11 new balls in the last round. You know, he was <laughs> he wasn't getting in a bug at all, of course. So, anyway, so that, that I do remember that Gary peeling off, taking the paper off those balls, and I caddie begging me to change. I said, No, <laughs> no are doing right. they, 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 these me. are working, they're working, they're
0: okay. But although Gary won the Open in 59, he really came into it in 58 because he finished second in the US Open. Yeah, that's exactly right. To uh, Tommy, Tommy Bolt. And after the second round, Uh, The headline in the newspaper was, 46-year-old leads the U.S. Open, which is Tommy Bolt. And Tommy Bolt was livid. He was so angry because he wasn't 46 years old. And he ran into the press center and he said, who is this guy, whatever his name was, who wrote this article, who's saying I'm 46 years old? The guy kind of tentatively put his hand up and he said, I'm sorry, it must have been a typographical error. He says, "Typographical, my ass." <laughs> this is a perfect
1: four and a perfect six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you played alongside some some real icons of of South African golf back in the sixties. The Henning brothers, mm-hmm. Gary, Bobby, Bobby, yeah, Locke. Bobby Locke, Bobby Locke, yeah. of yeah. course, yeah. Bruce Cater, very well, yeah. and then Richard Waltman. Yeah, where's he? No, Retief's out in the East, he still does a bit of teaching. Is, is, he, is he still a preaching? He's yeah, an evangelist child, yeah.
3: as well, but he, he still does a bit of teaching on the Every now and again, he finds Veat the blue. He's okay. A wonderful player. He was he a, a fantastic good. player, and he used to... But he, he was always a bit on the punchy side, you know. You know, <laughs> you know but because he, he used to get in the rough, and to, he used to do a few press-ups, to get all the, uh, the blood flowing through his muscles. He had his own ideas about a lot of things on and I, I was very fond of him, and he, he was a really good player, no doubt about it. Yeah, and, and the he Wooks also brothers. I held a thirty-footer to beat me at the, the French Open at the Wanderers on 18th the <laughs> And the <laughs> Wooks brothers? No, well, Brian, Brian, I think was going to be the champion until Gary broke through. Brian was the one that really thought was going to do it, and I think he also, and a lot of guy, a pushy guy. And I think he sort of retired. He, he won the Italian Open. He was champion for 20 years. And remember, they never played That's the right. Italian Open. But uh, a, a really nice guy, Brian. He, he died fairly trans- very young. And Trevor, of course, won the Dax tournament at uh, mm-hmm. Wentworth. So they, there were a lot of good players around then. Even then, the other players I remember your dad with uh, Otway, and then Sandy Guthrie was another great player. uh, Tommy Trevenna, Georgie Farmer, G.A. from L.A.
0: But actually nobody compared to Locke?
3: No, not even close.
0: So tell us about Bobby Locke, the first time you saw him, exactly. Was he that
2: much better than everyone else? It, well, you know,
3: it, it's ridiculous to think that a man could go for 20 years and win every single event he played. Yeah. You cannot believe it. I'll never forget he, he came up. You know, and still, in those days, there weren't that many tournaments. I and mean, when you think he won like 100 tournaments, and there were hardly any tournaments flying all over the world all the time. But he arrived to play an exhibition at my home club, Hillside, and Dr. Vessel, who was very good to us as juniors. was uh, a nice player himself, Dr. He used to be a three handicap at one time. And anyway, he said, come, I know Bobby's going to come and play. I'll have a look at the course in the morning. We'll go and watch. So you know, I joined him at the club. And this Dale was gets a thing, but I'll never forget. Here came Bobby. And I'd heard all the stories, but I'd never forget. Here he came, and he was walking out his blue plus fours on with the stockings that his mother had knitted for him and the shirt with the tie. And he was carrying a pair of white spikes golf shoes, which I'd never ever seen a white pair in my life. And he had a pair of brown and white casual shoes on which I've ever never seen a pair of cans or shoes anyway. he get down and he whips it down the first hole, you know, and he, and he had this loose spike that would click, click, click as he walked in. You can't believe it. And anyway, I'll never forget, anyway, in the first hole, which is a par five. Never seen of course, you know, up second, on the par four, up the hill, and lovely shot to the back of the green, but now he's got a dirty 30-footer with a big swing downhill. I'll never get to whisper to he you're three-puncher, straight in the hole for the sea. Anyway. <laughs> to turn, Power was 37, he whipped it around at 31. First time I'd ever seen it. six times. I became a fan and then uh, watched him in after he shot 69, which was power was 74 then. Years after that, I played with him in the exhibition when he came up, and he was always very kind to me, but, I mean, Bobby just turned it on, he'd just shoot four, sixty-eight, six days or something, and if somebody pushed him, he'd go underground. It was incredible, but to win every time. Dale says he should have had a headache every now and again, <laughs> but he never did.
0: Tell him what happened uh, when he when he came out and played Sam Snead and then went to America.
3: Well, they played 17 exhibitions, I think it was, wasn't it? or 16. Th- 13 uh, individual. Individual, yeah, and... Uh, only Sneed only managed to win one, which funny happened the Jefferson. And, and he, you know, he, he was very funny. Uh, one time when I played a few events at Senior Tour, he, he spoke once about Bobby, and the only time in his life he begged, he was trying to get a putt to Bobby to give him one at the 18th at Royal Cape to square the match when Bobby had done something ridiculous at the 17th. But he, but he said, old
1: muffin face, he just turned his goddamn back on me. Off he
3: went to America, and, uh, unbelievably.
1: I mean, we know they banned him. Tell us about the unsolicited comment you heard. Yeah, that, yeah, that was uh, very true. Uh, our, our Masters winner, uh,
3: Claude Harmon, and uh, Bruce Devlin, and, and, who played in our Commonwealth matches here in, for, and did very well, Bob Charles, of course, another one who played in those Commonwealth here and also had a fantastic career. But uh, went to Lochinvar, of course, Lock and in Houston, and, uh, which is the first course Nicholas ever designed. And uh, anyway, he, introduced me he used to be to Claude Harmon, he used to be the pro at uh, 148 Masters. South Africa, he said to me, he said, you know, that old bastard Billock, he said, we had to ban him. He was too good for all of us. And that, I mean, when you think about it, he won uh, incredible. He won, what, 17 events in two years in America, which is,
2: you know, ridiculous. Tell us about his putting. Well,
3: was, uh, uh, he's definitely the best putter I ever see, but, uh, you know, always wore he had his little white cap that he wore and his a plus four. But Bobby would, had a habit. And he could read, read, obviously unbelievably well, and he never forgot where the grain came from. It was incredible. He remembered, this green doesn't hold that green wherever he played. It was unbelievable. But he did a putt from 30 feet. It hadn't got a yard. And you could see the right hand come off and start to read for the cap. And yes, look, boy, there the ball disappeared every time. I mean, there's a story at, at Parkview that uh, for some series they wanted, wanted him to you know, hold a putt. 30 foot or something I said okay alright it just popped it straight don't matter he said I'll do it again popped it straight
2: <laughs> when, when you look at them I mean you've obviously now seen many modern day putters and, and there's, there's there's those who get mentioned yeah. in the same breath But it's really, always tough to compare errors it, but I mean if you, if you, if you how, how do you compare I mean he was obviously a standout putter of his time the modern well, day I mean, the, the
3: greens are so different now. I mean yeah. Bob Charles was a fantastic putter I mean uh, unbelievable putter Bob and no sense of humour about it he quite have the old one in a row you know most of us think well maybe the, you know, the odds are against us getting another one but not our ball like the greens that he putted on you know he had to give the ball a right hit uh, now the, the modern green it's like a billiard table if mm. you've really got to stroke the ball going every time although I still think the, the greens were true with a nap then it definitely did the same thing every time. Somebody hit the all well enough. The greens mark up a bit now, don't they, during the day? They still, it's,
0: it's like putting in a billiard table. I'd say Bob Child is after Bobby, of the ones that Palmer at one time was unbelievable. But Palmer said that Bobby Locke was the greatest putter oh, he ever saw. Uh, Gary says the same that. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people who say, who saw Bobby Locke, will say that Bobby Locke was the best putty oh, I think that they ever a saw. Yeah. You know, you know, you get people now ranking putters and stuff like that, but they never saw Bobby Locke. Yeah. They don't have a clue how good they They talk about Ben Crenshaw. Yeah. Ben Crenshaw was a terrific putter, yeah. but he wasn't in the same league as Bob yeah, Charles, Bob, for example. Bob, Bob. Now, I never saw Bobby Locke in his in heyday. I only saw Bobby Locke after his accident. Yeah. But even after his accident, every putt hit was within a few inches of being the perfect distance. Yeah. Every putt he could be 40 feet away. And he wouldn't be that much shorter, that much past. I mean, his his control over pace was unbelievable. It's a bit like your chips. My third chip, usually I get there. <laughs> 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 no, he used to be a
3: wonderful chipper, but uh, I know. Uh, one story I'll, I'll never forget. That fifth trip. One of our teams was to play in the Open Championship. It was the first one that the Peter Thompson won, who went on to win five Open Championships. And we had me with Bobby. I, I didn't. Roger Brookes was the only one of our team that actually got in into the evacueal, Mr. apart from Roger. And anyway, we were having tea with Bobby Locke the afternoon of the first round, and he made seven at the first hole. Not quite the same hole as it is now. It used to be a half hour, I think, with the tee a little further to the right. And he'd, he'd drive out of bounds, made seven, and shot 74. And, and Bobby wouldn't agree with us, but if Roger was here, tell you anyway. He said, how do you fancy well? He said, of course there's running and everything. He said, I could do a couple of 70s to 71, but there'll be one too many. I w- walked the last six soles with Bobby Watson when he shot 70 in the morning. It shot 70 in the second round, so isn't 44, 70 in the third round. One in the afternoon, in the morning, they used the bottom tee, not the, or the they've got a tee up the top there now, they had it down the body. Remember the 17 used to come now, which was a great part three. Now they they made the 12th to part three and took away the 17. Anyway. He's on the 18th, whoops, on the fairway again. near the four iron in the morning he came up about a yard short. He popped in for the, for the birdie three in the afternoon. He's at the same place and drive. And they had, not like they do now, there, there was a bus on the hill with Southport, just over the hill from Birkdale, and where the toilets were for the watching tournament. And the old Bobby was able miles right. And up. And the hook came up and the check stopped at the front of the green. He left the putt hanging over the head like this, Yard, just an inch short of the hole, otherwise you would have tied Thompson. And Tomo won his first open, he won three in a row. And then Bobby, of
0: course, won at 57 for his four. Obviously uh, um, your career was kind of pretty much the same time as Gary mm. um, And Well, you've got yeah. to call my career compared to Gary. <laughs> um, you had a couple of wins. you yeah. had a lot of uh, wins. Yeah. 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 25 professional golf tournaments. So, you know, a lot of wins. But, but I mean, Gary is pretty amazing. For Gary, is I say, I've never
3: known a guy that wanted to win as much as Gary, a competitor, like nobody else. I mean... But you said, said it was,
1: could become a little bit awkward sometimes because no, he wanted to be, win so badly. It would be
3: difficult to play
1: at the time, Gary.
3: No, well, he, I don't want to say anything bad about Gary, but, I mean, he was very tough to play with as well. It was, it, you know, he really didn't enjoy it too much because this attitude, this... You know, I, I don't the, want he to, had the will
2: to win it. it, it he, wanted,
3: he wanted it so bad. He wanted it unbelievably badly. It always made you uncomfortable mm-hmm. somehow. I don't know, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure I'd want to beat you, but I, I don't I, I, I want to feel fine about it. So that's why I'm probably a bit of an abbot still a lot. I, mean, I love the game, I want to beat you, but I want you to play as well. As you can and i want to beat you if i can that's wonderful but i wouldn't do anything to try and stop you playing well and that's where bobby Locke was such, i mean he never said too much bobby on the goals but a warm personality
1: and he was an absolute gentleman to play with he had a good shot it's a good shot you know and, uh, it's interesting that two clubs kind of claim bobby lock got park view that got the statue of bobby there but right. also observatory, observatory as well yeah i
0: love the two courses Yeah. Yeah, he had pals that would drive him home. But funny enough, he actually didn't start his golf there. No, he didn't State mines. Yeah, yeah. State yeah. mines, and then he went to uh, Henny Murray and McCofley. He was, yeah. he represented well, McCofley well,
1: for a while, okay. and so you know, Bobby Locke moved around. But yeah. they, I mean, they, he lived in Yeovil towards the end of his life. Yeah. Yeah, it did, yes. yeah, it's amazing that the the two courses kind of both claim ownership of Bobby Locke. Oh, the golf course is wonderful, warm, person. Really, as I say he never said anything
3: too much, he was he was. It was, it was a joy to watch.
1: Did you hear him play uh, the ukulele? Yeah, I did I did. How good was he? Three
3: old ladies locked in the lavatory. <laughs> that was Bobby's song. They were there from Monday till Saturday. <laughs> and, no, and nobody knew they were there, old Bobby. He was one I mean there, you know, a lot of his he, he played all these exhibitions because there weren't that many tournaments to play and, I mean, if Bobby had arrived back home, he had the old, old Airport and get somebody to drive and play nine holes just to loosen up getting off the plane and the exhibition used to come up every year to his in those days and play around exhibitions and then entertain the people afterwards with his ukulele and that over he, he was he was a boyer yeah
2: Hatched um, your own career when as a pro when did you get a sense that you got as much
3: out of it as a player as perhaps you could you have know, been. and when and well, when did you get a sense that you as I said I turned pro very late, I was really set in my habits and what have you, so I maybe, I don't know, I'd look, I enjoyed every minute of it, I must be honest, and uh, saw the world, a little boy from Medina saw the world and everything, and it was great, played with a lot of, I not what I think about, the people I've managed to play with over the years, <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know, the major champions and all that, it's, it's quite amazing. But still, he was one of my great champions, right? I'd sit here right next to me Dale.
2: Wait, Was there a sense, though, Did you, can you remember when you thought that perhaps you needed to look beyond your pro career, what was next, and can you remember no, the I time where, where when, you were when, when you had to start thinking about post-playing uh, as well, a pro? I, I, I do well, I, I was lucky, sort of you
3: you came, obviously, and obviously I stopped playing really in 71. Uh, Brian Henning had taken over, There with brilliant in and I got a couple of PGA tournaments, where you're looking for money for the pros to play for and uh, I'll never forget Owen Williams that was being asked to help the, 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 the PGA and try and find some money for the guys to play for for those days and found 100,000 rand for Gary and Louis big uh, was it next Casper to, uh, uh, right? Casper to play for that's right and, uh, you know which I said that's the last we wanted really and that's when Brenda Bloomer helped me and we sort of made a first trying to a massive 5,000 rand <laughs> well, we played it was bigger a 10,000 rand a year when the, the pizza and then Brian Henning took over but I was lucky to get into television which of course was something I, I so enjoyed it really was fantastic
1: yeah tell us about that because you know TV came to South Africa in 76 yeah I presume that well Brian were doing it Brian Henning then when Brian went off to America you went off to America in 78 76
0: 70, was that, that early yeah no, same year that I went to play the tour over there
3: Now, was people I liked to try you know so
0: obviously I'd try I was still playing them but then going
3: with Willem and Martin Locke and, uh, and Trevor Quirk, God oh bless him. Trevor it was a great help.
2: And was that right uh, at the start in seventy six?
3: No, I still think it was around about
0: seventy eight or eighty. You 80 started. Yeah. yeah, there were a couple of guys who they yeah. tried to work between that. Yeah. Uh, Proctor, Dave Proctor, Proctor they no, used him right. a little bit and and uh, various uh, different. Uh, 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 things. Uh, and
2: what was the SABC? I mean, how many tournaments were they were
0: there
3: showing? Well, well, we did quite a few. But only three holes. No, only three holes. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What well, sort of it
2: sixteen to eighteen? Or yeah. And you, would, you would so, so give us a sense. They paint the picture for us through what commentary looked like there compared to now. Well,
3: it was very different. It was better to get the scores in and have the computers that we got now They bang bang the scores there. You had a nomad hanging out the window getting the scores <laughs> and passing it us on a piece of paper and a uh, we do get you know the two languages. The Fidem v- Fidem. V- yeah, yeah. V- yeah, fantastic voice. It was and he loved it as well, old v- So we had a lot of fun, but when you think about how how, how it is now, it's very different.
1: But it, it was great fun. And I enjoyed every every everyone over there. Yeah, we've been fortunate on this podcast to have spoken to Doogie Donnelly, good friend of yours. Oh, yeah. uh, you and Murray. I'm sorry that we could never get Peter Ellis to yeah. to speak to us Legends of Broadcasting and you were obviously able to learn off them and oh, yeah. Yeah. pick up ways of, of, of commentating and I guess when you work for TV it's a bit different to painting a picture when you are working solely with audio so there's show and tell and stuff that you say and that you don't say yeah uh, well, it, uh, they're, all, uh, they're all different, they've all got their
3: own little ways of doing things. I, I used to really enjoy working with old Beds, Steve Bedder, who, who was wonderful, you know. Beds is a guy, wonderful voice, beautiful voice. And he was a good sport, he was a good cricketer and not a bad golfer. But he, he liked to go first class, you know, everything had to be right. And the one year we were in, uh, in Cologne, nothing much is happening on the golf course. So he says to me, well, I was thinking about the, you know, the hotel we stay in. I said, oh, not bad. I said, yeah, I've got a key room and um, I must have got the shower words. But I said, oh, I can't sand that liquid soap. Don't drink it, he says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got of course over hysterical and the producer's screaming, stop it, you, you know. and, uh, and, one, and the other one, Phil Yates, who does a lot of the snooker work yeah. with him. Yes. These are just guys I really enjoyed working with, and uh, Phil Yates, And one <laughs> funny enough, the same tournament another year in Cologne, and nothing much is happening, and they focus on these uh, this frog that's on the... Uh, uh, ten seconds is quite a long time. Do you to talk about you know, a frog? So I said, well, you know, it doesn't look too well to me. It's quick as a flash I oh, was. Well, says, why do you think it's going to croak, patch? I again. But, uh, and of course, the, the famous story with... Uh, Ernie. Ernie, yeah. Ernie. and Dubai, I was, again, I was with uh, Ben's and do what he's got to lift your doors Don't you put know, it, in you know, do so, it You know, not quick the flash you'd have probably translate that for us and I will take like this in the box Anyway uh, it was, No, but they're all fun Ewan, also great probably
0: Doogie, because all all those boys they're all terrific Actually, just talk to us a little bit about Papua Sagolam because another person that, you know was playing in the, in, the, in the late 50s, 60s you know, even into the 70s Yeah, well,
3: uh, Papua, I I was very fond of Popper. He was a a really nice chap, loved him to play golf, because he was a good golfer. And he, really, you called him a golfer, I mean, he was, he could get the ball around the golf course, like, no, it was just a wonderful, short game. And, you know, he couldn't read or write, he'd learn how to mark a card, that sort of thing. And overseas, we often used to help look after him, make sure that he was, you know, getting to the right place. He won the Dutch Open a few times, old Popper. He he was a super player, and. and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's so many stories about that incident at Durban at Country Club, and I don't want to upset anybody, but it, it was tragic that you they had to go in the rain. In outside. The, but what people don't ever mention is that we all got our prizes in the rain. And, uh, the guys that got it, handed uh, they were all outside. So, it, it, sadly, that's what it was then, and, and nobody was happy about it, obviously. But but Popper was a decent guy, a really nice chap and a good player.
2: Just coming back to the commentary, which. You obviously had your own style. You've always had your own style. no one you modelled yourself on or anyone you looked to as a mentor or hero or thought, well, hang on, that that person's doing quite nicely. I wouldn't mind following an example there. Did you, because you sort of fell into it without any much of a plan. You
3: know, well, you know, I, just, I always felt my job was to look at the golf and talk about the golf, not to be the clever one that's giving everybody's birthday and what have you. I felt I, I, I like to watch the golf and try and talk about the golf. And, uh, and I, I just used to work, happy to work with the other guy, let him do all the lead and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. And I, I would concentrate on the goal. Your favourite tournament yeah. to cover? No, well, obviously, I enjoyed the Open Championship. It, it, it was always great. Rider Cup? Rider Cup. Well, yeah, I was lucky I did five. So really enjoyed those. Those were great fun. But the one, of course, a tragedy was the first one I did, I think, at Valderrama. 97.
2: Chevy. Eh, 97. 97, yeah. It
3: was the first one I ever did. And Beds and I were. On the Johnny Walker boat. You must have hated that. We hated that because he got there too late at night to have anything and they had all this fancy whiskey on the table. Beds was on antibiotics. And I, <laughs> Julian Hutt was there as well. The other one, I loved working with old Julian. He was
0: a very proper and decent, lovely guy. Julian used to try and teach you that shot, oh, absolutely. that <laughs> pop-up shot that went low yeah. and then spun back. Yeah, with the face wide With over. the fade, yeah. Just, Have you mastered that shot? No, yet? I haven't not yet. Huh?
3: I don't think he has
0: either yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Julian. No, the writing cup was terrific. Do you
2: have a favourite commentary moment? Actually, I mean, there would have been many over the years, but, I mean, are there any, even if it's a handful that stand out and you were part of and you commentated on that, that sticks in your no, mind? I don't know. So I, many to I choose from. I
3: think there are a lot, yeah. There are a lot, you know. Obviously, I really enjoyed the chance to promote our guys whenever I could. I was going to say,
2: yeah, commentating yeah. on a South African mm, victory, well, a, really a major is. victory? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I,
3: I
0: enjoyed the walk. Actually, you uh, worked with Trevor Quirk initially in the golf and, and then uh, when you started to play senior golf old uh, Quirky insisted on caddying for you yeah. in the senior uh, open. Uh, Tell uh, us uh, that story. Oh, uh, yes, it's love Well,
3: Quirky, of course, was very, very good to me and, and, and helped a lot with the commentary but now we, in the old days he used to go across when I was now playing a few senior he used to go and do Wimbledon but first the French Open and then like a week, ten days off and then Wounded it started. But Anyway, as it happens, the bloody PJ Senior Tournament in Britain that black week, oh, it's an uncanny field. I
2: said, oh, no. Great. Oh, no, it's
3: definitely uncanny. Well, that was, I might as well not have gone, but anyway, yeah. was Quirky, but oh, fantastic. Anyway, the one, i tell you the story that I want to was, we were playing at Isha, playing at Isha, rather, and we, what was that, that called, West Hill, beautiful golf, we'd started with a hole down the hill and then straight back up. anyway, uh, we check in. We go to a little pub in uh, in, in We we have dinner every night. It was very And nice. One night, you know, who walks in? It was uh, John O'Leary. John O'Leary. Hey, what are you guys doing? I said, well, you know, we get play. Said, well, he's the one. You stay at my place. You know, he said, I've got a flat here. I'm going up to play in the European Open or whatever it is up in the Belfield You boys can have the flat. So he said, Well, that's great. Anyway, a few drinks with him. Now we go. Anyway, now the, the tournament, so you can imagine. I fell in love with this little pub there with a the guy that had a little, I don't know, tiny, like a quarter piano with an old taxi driver. It used to play, it with. mild, the food was great. And he did, so he used to have a few drinks. And, you know, anyway, I was good. doing not too well, but the last night, they said before the final round, we were having dinner, who walked through the door Leary as Mr. Cut. And I said, oh, know, now I know, boy, this is a of trouble here. No, no, anyway, Tom, we'll have a drink tonight, no, whatever I was just about to I said, Well that one no. Well Top Quick No I said, Boys, I've got you no, no, forgive me, but I've got a duck. But I no, do John said, don't worry, you. I mean, everything's fine. I'm, I've got somewhere else I'm staying tonight. But anyway, Bertie arrives at 5 o'clock in the morning. God bless him. Broken. I mean broken. Carrying <laughs> a um, bag. Said, oh. said, anyway. Was it a mess? She put him in shower. I said, come on, Bertie. No, anyway, Anyway. In the shower now. All right, now we're to the course. We like start fairly early.
0: But he insists on driving, it's,
3: too. No, I said, no, no, no you're, I'm the chauffeur. <laughs> anyway, I said, come on, I mean, he's right, Anyway. He's in bad shape. <laughs> okay, but every day now we get to the course, I said, for God's sake, get hold of a trolley that worked, because he's pulled a back on a trolley. And each day, he's gone a hundred yards The bloody trolleys broken, he's got to run back and get another one. So we got off down the hill there, and he hasn't gone 50 yards. And the anyway, I said, hang on, I'll run back, get another cart, and off we go down the hill. Now we walk the second hole, straight up the hill at West Hill, and the flag, it's, I swear it's gotta be thirty foot tall, otherwise you wouldn't see it. That's how <laughs> Stephen Anyway, we might up playing with this chappy. Quirky, I'll get says, I'll get the pin Quirky's got the pin on anyway, I'll walk back to the front of me to watch it and go and play with. But anyway, down there have a look at what's the matter with your mate there. So I have a look at his Quirky holding the flag. <laughs> 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 I said, come on, Lily, really. I'll, I'll take you. you take me. no, I said, I'll carry, I'll carry you. who's God, he got on how he got around. You'll never know. I never know, but listen. And because then the, the next year you played in Leeds.
0: In Leeds. Oh, and yeah. once again oh. you went to a pub. We did, yes. And was... the pub was quite famous.
3: Uh, old, uh, Brian Brian Hutch was the pro there, And his wife's brother owned the pub. And he that he had 700 different whiskies. <laughs> will tell it's
0: up me when I'm halfway. <laughs> <laughs> you Peter Peter Thompson, we hear we hear it, Roland. You tell a lovely story about Peter Thompson, another another player who is never gets gets a recognition he deserves. Yes, I mean, one of the all time greats. Yeah, absolutely
3: no question about it. Well, five okay. times Open champion. And, yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, what he did
3: on the senior tour, when he yeah. got to not, the the player, he won nine events in one year, something like an that. but uh, said, so that's
0: enough. And uh, he, he was,
3: uh, sad he's gone too, but he was another guy you couldn't, I didn't get so close to him. But he would, he came out there and played with Bobby as well. This would have been, I suppose, 50. It was before I'd moved down here, it would have been early 50s. And the Stanley Motors event was playing on the West Course. And Tomo was off early in the morning and whipped it round in 64. The, power, no, they, the second was a par 4, but 7, I'm sure, was a par 5. Nine was, but I think it was par 71.
1: Anyway. anyway,
3: as he's leaving, Bobby's arriving. Bobby said, what did you score? He said, 64 damage. to me. What did you score? Thomas said, 64. Anyway, Bobby came and checked the board and he had some 64. Anyway, Bobby goes off and starts in the afternoon to play. Powers the first six holes. And part of the turn then is 535. Bobby goes 323 three, out in 31. Brings him back in 31, yeah. 62. So, and he's arriving at, the, and I was staying in Bobby Lock Mansions in Hillbrow there. And uh, well, he had his cottage at the back of, he owned the, the flats there. And Tom I was going out for the night, and Bobby was coming back with the court. And old Tom I said, What well, did you shoot? And I said, Bobby said, 62. No, no, he's stupid. He said, Bobby, 62. <laughs> I'll check the paper in the morning, and off he went. Anyway, the next morning, he <laughs> came running through. And I'm Jesus mate, you didn't shoot 62. Bobby said, I told you. And, of course, Bobby won the tournament comfortably. To oh, Bobby. The story I love is poor old Tommy Taverna At Springs so Club, with Bobby, I mean, he shot uh, 66 in the first round. And, and Bobby, I think, put 68 or something. And, anyway, going in the second round, and... Uh, Bobby, we, I was on the 9th, We was Bobby playing with us. 36 holes, 36 holes for the East over Open. No, tough, it, you yeah, know, tough, no? tough. Anyway, the outspeed speed got Bobby. He was one, one three four. he must have shot 68, 66. So one, three, four, and and par was one four six. So, you know, he's 12 under. Tommy to bear that long. Bobby listened to this and he went and had another look. He had a thirty foot from the front of the green. Anyway, we went back. Popped and hadn't got a yard. he's in <laughs> out in 31. He brought it back in. He shot 62, and our Bobby shot 276. Oh, I was 292. And he lost by 14. <laughs> you know, I was tilting thinking those performances at Glendalough here. Well, 300 was a good score. You know, you had to have the imagination to shoot what he shot there.
0: 1939, yeah. Transvaal Open. He shot 35 under Pop. Mm.
1: Fifty-five
0: under par. You know the par obviously was higher than it is yeah, today. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But, you know the equipment was very different. So, he yeah. shot thirty-five under par. Playing Sneed, first match was in that series that they played, and Sneed had been hitting
3: balls, practising when Bobby arrived, and everybody. And Bobby just hit a couple of woods, two putts instead of ready, and they said he's got no chance. And Sneed bombed the drive down the first and Bobby, a bit of a doggy one down there, second right to the back of the green. Sneed hit a six higher, to about 15 feet. And Bobby just popped it in from 40 foot, <laughs> for three, and Sneed missed. But anyway, he played the back nine in the morning, and the front nine in the afternoon in 64. Guess what he got beat by? Eight and seven. Eight and seven.
1: I mean, this it's madness. It's madness. It's madness.
3: It's, uh, it's, it's incredible.
1: Okay, Bobby Lock aside, the South African golfer that you've most enjoyed watching over the years. Apart from Bobby, Ernie's got to be on your list. Well, Ernie's there
3: and Retief. It's Ernie and Retief and look, there have been a lot of them, really, when you think about it. But Ernie, Retief, you had better watch. You're Cole? Unique, Bobby Cole. Beautiful golf, be- I'll never forget the first time I saw Bobby Cole, it was at day And I just heard the noise, and there was the, He could. He, he was, beautiful golf. Beautiful golf. Like, know, what
2: about the non-South Africans? I mean, the more modern game. You've been commentating for many years now. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, you know, Tiger obviously stands out in your time as a commentator, as a, as a, you know, as a fantastic player to watch, obviously in his, you know, his prime. Um, he was be really. Yeah, I want to bring up
3: a name for you. Tony Lima. Tony Lima.
0: How good a player was
3: he? He was very good. Funny enough, I'm glad you brought him up because I actually played with Tony Lima. In the, the very first tournament I played in America at the Lakes. I mean he was a beautiful player, but he, he was he used to get upset really upset with himself and if he didn't go he'd, he'd handle it and eventually when he solved that problem and he won that
0: open and as you remember in sixty four. That's it, Dan Tony, but he was a lovely bloke. Bobby Vervey reckons that in nineteen sixty five and sixty-six that Tony Lima was as good as Nicholas. Oh, yeah I'm sure he was. He said he was an unbelievable player.
2: That's some some, some thoughts on the, on the modern game? I mean, there's is, is heaps of things. Well, it's sure. very
3: difficult. I just think that the game has gone out of control at the moment. And the ball's going miles too far, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, and the way the clubs are knocked up. and I, I, I just think they've... Otherwise, of course, it's, a, it's just so good. And I think there's too big a disparity between the pros and the amateurs now. You know, really, you can't. It's, even the ladies, the ladies are... are are fantastic torch, I think. But I when you think here at Royal, I mean, the, the old days, the 10th and 11th on the west course, were the two longest consecutive par fours in the world at one time. On the east. On the east, both yeah. over 500 yards. Yeah. And the old days, the long hitters would need hit three irons and four irons maybe to get there. The most players needed four woods. Now they had wedges. I mean the first it's the pole five yeah. the boys hit the right pole they hit sand iron on the green some of the, you know well they played as a pole ball now you know. do, you you have a,
2: do you have a, a thought or a theory on, on, on how they rein things in I mean there's obviously different theories about the ball well clubs. I don't know
3: you know I, I think the one the, the old ball remember they wouldn't hit this now with even the modern. The lighter ball would go sideways up. I mean the modern ball squares itself up too you know and the, and the whole way the swing has changed as Dale, Dale really even the Dale would is you that know, the Right job was to get the ball in the air so the right shoulder way underneath now the job is to keep the ball down yeah so they're all, the whole turn, keep the right shoulder uh, high uh, right shoulder hold. the whole turn in golf is different the, the thing is it's, a, it's taking too long in the old days if you took three hours for a round of golf they used to chat to you you know three hours fifteen minutes they called Bobby a slow player I mean these guys hardly played high and hold at that time
1: yeah and I don't think you pick that up from the TV how slow they actually no. are because obviously there's a bit I mean, of smart editing going the on there I mean it's so,
3: you know, you used to be able to sneak out and go and play you know, 18 holes quickly before work. Whip around in two and a half hours, three hours. Now, uh,
0: it's a day. You want to go and play golf, it's a day. But even club golf has got yeah, stupid. Too slow. Stupidly yeah. slow. It's too slow, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and listen, I think tour golf is to blame for it because, you know, they're trying to imitate what the pros are doing, you know, with yardage books that, and well, yardages. That's a, that's a and,
3: and bigger Bobby, as you're saying, with, yeah. with the speed of his putts. But he also never pulled the wrong club. He had, you know, great vision. I never saw Bobby hit it too far, or too short. Yeah. club, he might be a little left or right. but that was
0: just eyeballing. Yeah. Well, I, I, do, I mean, you might have played it, but I never played with the or ever. But, you know, the the other thing is that the greens have become so fast and so, oh. so hilly that on a lot of greens, people are lining up two putts. Yeah. Well, yeah. in the old days, you know, you, you really, it was you putted up and you tapped it in. Yeah. You know, you'd have the odd 3 that's putt in a round of golf and stuff like that. But that. you lined up usually only one putt on every hole. Now, many times, you're up two putts on every hole. I mean, that's, you know, adding a, a minute, percent, a hole yeah, just per person yeah. on the greens. You put that, Never mind.
3: Mind. the best of have put exactly right what you said there. You well should down, get into commentary, know. Dale. <laughs> <laughs> I must I really worked, enjoy working with Dale. I did enjoy all the work we did together. We had a lot of fun.
1: Not many people say that, actually.
2: That's <laughs> a bit harsh. I
0: do. I do. <laughs> actually, one, harsh. One, one group of people that we haven't spoken about, and you played along with the whole family, were the Henning brothers. Mm. I mean, all of them, not only terrific players, but um, did wonders for the game of golf. Oh, they did too. Now,
3: Harold was a fantastic player. He was always really tough in his brother, Brian, also. I want I to tell you a quick story about Ryan. I buggy beat me in the Transvol Amateur at, at ERPM in there. I think it was the last eight we were and uh, I had him in, in trouble and I'd, at the night he made me put a little one like this so I gave it a casual tap and missed. But anyway, eventually we get to the, the 15th hole. Remember that the power station on the right there and uh, I've had a nice second into about 10 foot and he's in a doggy one short left anyway. Chips it in and I missed, so now I'm only one up. Now we go down the next, the 16th, and the short four, clear but nice drive. I had a beautiful second into about two feet. He holds his second shot. <laughs> square. he buried his 17, and <laughs> did me one down, and he got blown away in the next round. And I was upset. And then, of course, Graham? And then uh, Graham, Bonesy. Uh, Bonesy was a lovely golfer, but Harold kept telling him he was no good. And I, uh, Bonesy, I, I love Bonesy. And the one year we were in Britain, Bones was crying about his golf I said come away and go it's a ball to me so we went oh, to Bones had a beautiful I said Bones just watch the ball that's all you got and I said it's nothing else watch the ball you won the tournament And won then, the martini tournament the martini yeah. and, uh, and then of course Alan was a wonderful player Alan didn't like travelling though he, you know, the he got over there, he wanted to come home. So, but Alan, any the younger one, was a really good striker. But they're
1: all. Well, I mean, Harold on. won. I think he won over fifty tournaments. 15, yeah. Fifty-five tournament and tournaments. And it's just yeah. unfortunate that his career coincided uh, with Gary's. He, and he never played for ten years. You I yeah. think about that. Yeah. I did the tour. He hadn't played for ten years. And a great character too. Oh yeah. Oh, no,
0: he was... Some beautiful stories about Harold. Oh, yeah.
1: Hutch Nardes, As you head towards ninety you say uh, you're playing occasionally or yeah. net or gross <laughs> gross <laughs> no no look
3: I still have to say we've got a little nine hole school I play on a Tuesday afternoon.
1: yeah you've got the boys
0: coming then I
3: play most Wednesdays and occasionally on Saturday
0: when last uh, did you shoot over your age Can't
1: a few remember. years I not <laughs> <remember.
3: laughs> <laughs> no I started when I think I first broke my age I think I was 68 when well, I was 67 or something and I've done it sort of ever since of course I play four T's now being an old choppy but uh, now I can still do that for you to come to me. And the commentary, do you miss it? I do. Well, I do, yes. I really enjoy guys to be honest. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's no longer there. So uh, I just enjoy listening to Dale and the boys. And, uh, but I do miss it. I do. I, I really enjoyed it. It was something I, I look forward to. You know, a chance of promoting our guys and everything. And, and, and that was the special part for me.
2: On, on that note, I mean... Is South African golf as strong as it's ever been? I mean, we've been I
3: I'd mean, say it's stronger than it's ever been. I'm sure Dale will agree if you there too. I mean, we've got so many good young players and why we've got so many more people that turn to golf, you know, because of other sports and different problems there. I mean, there are so many more people go to golf early and we've always had talented sportsmen and, and now they've gone out to golf and I think uh, coaching is
0: very, very good too. And uh, I, I think we're in a very strong place with our ball. And we've got some wonderful amateur golfers too. And Hutch, you know, with what's happened in with professional golf just in the last month or two, oh. you know, there's, I mean, guys have got to be streaming into the game. And, uh, I mean, the money that they're putting the into know. the game all over the world is just absolutely crazy. Greg Norman's Tour, 200 million, the DP World Golf Tour they put in, I don't know how much money into that, the PGA Tour, 40, 40 million. For the guy who gets the most hits on media yeah, on, on it's social crazy. media, it's crazy twenty million total prize money for the for the yeah, tour championship. I know. I mean for the uh, players' championship. Players' championship. I twenty think. million yeah. dollars one week. Yeah.
2: But, But I saw an interesting comment from from, from Billy Horschel saying that he, had, he he was of the opinion that perhaps the the major tours need to make it tougher for the guys to make a really good living. That there's almost too much money out there for for relatively media, mediocre golf. That right. you can you can finish. You know, outside the top twenty, all year round, and, and still walk away. Well, the,
3: well that's right. Flexible. Well, I mean, uh, they're millionaires. They'd never want to tournament in their lives. I mean, they're obviously good players. But I mean, Nicholas and Palmer both said that when they made the all exempt tours and that that it's looking for mediocrity. You, you want to, you want to win. That. I think that's why we all did it to go and try and win. That's not that's sensible. Yeah. That, you know, I think finish second in the in the Dutch you win two hundred pounds in nowadays. Once I got forty pounds. <laughs> Full well, he'd still be a millionaire here now. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, that's true. <laughs> Very true. But, you know, we didn't play, have a lot of money in the tournaments, but boy, we had a lot of fun.
0: I wouldn't change too much. No, we did. We had much more fun. They they have no idea about uh, that side of the game that they they are missing today, and and it's understandable because they played for so much money. Mm. So you know there are characters out there, but you just don't see them because.
2: They're few and yeah. far between.
0: They, right? No, but they're playing for so much money. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they can't show off. I mean, that Perez guy, you know, Pat Perez. Perez. Yeah. I mean, he's a character. But, you know, you don't see him acting up or doing anything weird or strange
1: or funny.
2: Joel Damon is a bit of a character. I
1: like think you wrote about
2: him. Yeah, I did. YouTube. Joel Damon. But then I'm Max Homer. Yeah. But um, are not many
1: of them. They stand out because the other guys are quite, for the want not. of a better word, they're quite robotic. So you mm. just need a little bit of personality to really yeah. stand out.
0: Yeah. You know, they don't, I don't think a lot of them realise that by just doing something a little bit different, how how they are going to stand out. You know, it's not that difficult for them now because no. you don't have to. You don't have to be Simon Hobday or Chichi Rodriguez yeah. or Doug Saunders yeah. to actually stand out a little bit. You know, in those days you had to be very different, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Because there were lots of guys doing it. Yeah. Nowadays you don't have no. to. No. Hutch, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It, it's nice for that, me. It's nice to see you looking so well. I actually thought the best way to, to end off would be for you to recite your golf poem. Ah. I can't think of a better way to, to cap it off. It's not my golf poem that it's sort of made. I didn't, but... No, I but you committed it, yeah, it, to commit it to memory. And, golf I have.
3: and it goes like this. my hand, I have a ball. White and dimpled and rather small. Oh, how bland... It does appear, this harmless-looking little sphere. By its size, I could not guess the awesome strength it does possess. But since I fell beneath its spell, I have wandered through the fires of hell. My life has not been quite the same since I chose to play this stupid game. It rules my mind for hours and end of the fortune it has made me spend. It's made me curse and made me cry and hate myself and want to die promises me a thing called power, if I hit it straight and far. To master such a tiny ball should not be very hard at all, but my desire the ball refuses, and does exactly as it chooses. It hooks and slices, dribbles and dies, and disappears before my eyes. Often it'll have a wind to hit a tree, or take a swim. With miles of grass in which to land, it finds a tiny patch of sand, Then has me offering up my soul, if only it will find a hole. It's made me whimper like a pup and swear that I would give it up and take the drink to ease my sorrow. But the ball knows I'll be back tomorrow.
1: Still got a great memory, even at 90 years old. The voice of South African golf, Dennis Hutchinson. Dale, congratulations to you as well, by the way. I believe this week you're celebrating 20 years married. It feels like 10 minutes underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Commiserations to your poor wife. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we'll catch you back here very soon for another episode of The Long and the Short of It in proud partnership with Blair Athol Golf and Equestrian Estate.
2: Yeah, for access to an unparalleled living experience, visit blairathol.coza and make an appointment to take the first steps in realizing your dream home. Blair Athol offers the ultimate and secure luxury estate living where lifestyle is a priority. A world-class championship golf course, outstanding equestrian facilities, mountain bike and running trails, diverse wildlife, helipads, tennis and squash courts, a high-tech fitness center, spa and restaurant facilities. On top of that, it's the perfect environment in which to raise a family with easy access to nearby schools and close proximity to the planned Lanseria Smart City. So why not visit blairathel.coza and take those first steps. Come home to blairathel.coza An unparalleled living experience.
0: There it is. A win for the ages. The long and short of it Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'd ask our friends, except we don't have any. So please like and rate this podcast.
2: Until next time.